0: Chai, the Das takur ki jai. Chai, same Shikoh, Shikrishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nichananda, Shri Adoy Tigradha, Shiva Sadikor, Bakshin jai. Chai, Shishi Radha, Krishna Gogopina, Gopina Makunda, Radha Kundi Gidi, ki jai. Chai, go, Vrindavan Dhamma ki jai, Machad Dhamma ki jai, Jaganathari ki jai. Chai. Gangamayi Jamuna Devi Kijai, Jai, Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samhita jai. Bhakta Vrindhi Ki Jai, jai. Premananda.
1: Adi. Adi. Adi.
0: All Glories to the Assembled Devotees. Hare All Glories to the Assembled Devotees. Hare All Glories to the Assembled Devotees. Hare All Glories to, to Sri Guru and Guranga. All Glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Krishna Prastaya Bhutale, shimate, Bhakti Vedanta Swami, Niti Namine. Namaste Sarasvati Deve Goravani Pacharane Nirvasesu Nivadi Paskachade Satarane Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Parakamalam Sri Guru Vaish Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam becomes Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadukam Paditana Sahita Krishna Chaitendadevam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakam becomes Manchakalpa chugis chaki pasindavi eva chaka titanam pabanevyo vayishnavavayavyo namo Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate
1: vasudevaya
0: Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Sudevaya Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya September 4th, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 5 Vidya is with Maitreya Text 45 Tan by a sadriti beer, Akshibir, yea. Tan by a
1: saddle, Akshibir, yea.
0: Paraditan tarmanasa paresha.
1: Paraditan,
0: a ton of pasyan churugayanunum.
1: A ton of pasyan.
0: Translation in Purport by Śrīla Prabhupada Translation O great Supreme Lord, offensive persons whose internal vision has been too affected by external materialistic activities cannot see your lotus feet, but they are seen by your pure devotees whose one and only aim is to transcendentally enjoy your activities. As stated in Bhagavad Gita 1861, the Lord is situated in everyone's heart. It is natural that one should be able to see the Lord, at least within himself, but that is not possible for those whose internal vision has been covered by external activities. The pure soul, which is symptomized by consciousness, can be easily perceived even by a common man because consciousness is spread all over the body. The yoga system as recommended in Bhagavad-gita is to concentrate the mental activities internally and thus see the lotus feet of the Lord within oneself. But there are so many so-called yogis who have no concern with the Lord but are only concerned with consciousness, which they accept as the final realization. Such realization of consciousness is taught by Bhagavad-gita within only a few minutes, whereas the so-called yogis take continuous years to realize it because of their offenses at the lotus feet of the Lord. The greatest defense is to deny the existence of the Lord as separate from the individual souls, or to accept the Lord and the individual soul as one and the same. The impersonalists misinterpret the theory of reflection, and thus they wrongly accept the individual consciousness as a supreme consciousness. The theory of the reflection of the supreme can be clearly understood without difficulty by any sincere common man. When there is a reflection of the sky and the water, both the sky and the stars are seen within the water. But it is understood that the sky and the stars are not to be accepted on the same level. The stars are part of the sky and therefore they cannot be equal to the whole. The sky is the whole and the stars are parts. They cannot be one and the same. Transcendentalists who do not accept the supreme consciousness as separate from the individual consciousness are as offensive as the materialists who deny even the existence of the Lord. Such offenders cannot actually see the lotus feet of the Lord within themselves nor are they even able to see the devotees of the Lord. The devotees of the Lord are so kind that they roam to all places to enlighten people in God-consciousness. The offenders, however, lose the chance to receive the Lord's devotees, although the offenceless common man is at once influenced by the devotees' presence. In this connection there is an interesting story of a hunter and Devarshi Narada. A hunter in the forest, although a great sinner, was not an intentional offender. He was at once influenced by the presence of Narada, And he agreed to take the path of devotion, leaving aside his hearth and home. But the offenders, Nalakuvera and Manigriva, even though living amongst the demigods, had to undergo the punishment of becoming trees in their next life, although by the grace of a devotee they were later delivered by the Lord. Offenders have to wait until they receive the mercy of devotees, and then they can become eligible to see the lotus feet of the Lord within themselves. But due to their offenses and their extreme materialism, they cannot even see the devotees of the Lord. Engage in external activities; they kill the internal vision. The Lord's devotees, however, do not mind the offences of the foolish in their many gross and subtle bodily endeavours. The Lord's devotees continue to bestow the blessings of devotion upon all such offenders without hesitation. That is the nature of devotees. Tamvaya sad riti bir akshibirye, prahar tatara manasa paresha atone Yudu Gayanu Nam Gate Padanyasya Vilasa Lakshaha. O great Supreme Lord, offensive persons whose internal vision has been too affected by external material activities cannot see your lotus feet, but they are seen by your pure devotees, whose one and only aim is to transcendentally enjoy your activities. So here again we have the question, Why can't I see God? You know, he's right in my heart. Srila Prabhupada says that it, it's natural. If someone's in your heart, you should be able to see them, right? If somebody's sitting in your room, if they're sitting right next to you, uh, you should be able to see them. I mean, I can't see somebody in another country. I can't see someone in another house, but I can see somebody who's right next to me. So why can't I see the Lord? And the answer is giving here because our external activities have obstructed our internal mind the sanskrit is anta manasa anta means within one's internal vision lakshaha i cannot i cannot see because my internal eye has been obstructed by becoming absorbed in the external and the key here is the devotees uh, Srila Prabhupada takes two paragraphs of his three paragraph purport to speak about seeing the lord abishnu uh, chakravarti Thakur uh, devotes his whole purport to seeing the devotees, which Śrīla Prabhupāda gives at the end of this purport as the key. That the reason one can't see God is that in order to see God, one needs the mercy of the devotees. And one who is so absorbed in materialistic activities that they've blocked their internal vision can't even see the devotees to get the mercy of the devotees. Because that's how the mercy of God goes. The mercy of God goes through the mercy of the devotees. So why does the mercy of God go through the mercy of the devotees? Let's, let's look at that first. And then we'll ask, why, why does blocking the internal vision mean you don't see the devotees? What does that mean, not to see the devotees? And how do we solve this problem? So why is it essential to see the devotees in order to get the mercy of the Lord? And Prabhupada talks a lot here about offenses. And the key as to why we can't see the Lord is that we have offended him. This is a very simple principle It's a principle that operates even in our ordinary earthly human dealings If someone offends me, I don't want to see them It's just really simple And the other day I asked somebody to do me a favor And the person said, the last time I did you that favor You weren't very grateful You just found fault with how I did it And you criticized me, so I don't want to do it again You'll have to find somebody else And that's generally how we behave. You know, I I was uh, teaching the grandkids yesterday, and one of them said, you know, I don't want to do my regular English. It's boring. I want to do something fun. So I thought up a fun activity, and she agreed that it was a fun activity. But then when we were doing it, uh, she wasn't behaving very nicely. And I said to her, you know, if you want me to do a fun activity, then you have to behave nicely while we're doing it. Otherwise... You're going to train me that I don't want to do it anymore. So one can say, well, how is it that we've offended the Lord and he doesn't want to see us? And Srila Prabhupada gives two ways of offending the Lord here. One is that one just denies him completely. One says that there's no God. We talked about this the other day in terms of secularism. Secularism is you just you just don't see God in the... You don't make an effort to see how God is behind everything and within everything in one's daily life one interprets one's life in terms of external causes and effects in terms of external cures I'm right now reading this section of the Bhagavatam First Canto, Chapter 17 about Dharma the Bull and Maharaj Perkit and how when Maharaj Perkit asked who did this to you Dharma the Bull didn't accuse the perpetrator he didn't see an external cause for what was going on so one way we offend the Lord is we don't see his hand behind things. I mean, like, like yesterday, the person cooking breakfast made breakfast early enough so that the kids who go to college could eat breakfast before college. Usually breakfast is later than that. They made a big effort. But the kids who went to college, they didn't notice. They didn't say thank you. They just, oh, here's breakfast. Uh, let me just leave. So we're often like that. you know. He, here's, here's breakfast. Who cooked it? I don't know. <laughs> right? We, we don't thank the cook. We don't thank the person who shopped. We don't thank the person who grew the food. We, we don't even notice them. Oh, here's something for me to eat. Oh, here's a place for me to stay. Oh, here's clothes for me to wear. You know, We, we, don't, we don't even thank the normal human people in our environment. We don't even notice them, not, not thank them. We don't notice them. Often the people that we live with the most closely are the people we notice the least. We just assume, oh yes, they, you know, they're going to do the shopping, they're going to do the cooking, they're going to pay the bills, and you know, we only notice them when something goes wrong. So why is it surprising that we don't notice the closest person to us? And this is a, a way of being offensive. Of course, we don't want to notice God because we want to think that we're the doers and we, we want to enjoy the property of God without God. You know, we we want to steal God's property for ourselves. So if we notice that he's there, you know, if you want to steal something, generally, generally, thieves want to steal something when they're not being noticed. Right? They they don't usually want to steal something when the owner is watching. So if the owner is always there, then at least you want to pretend that they're not there. Yeah, It's like, like the little child... who who puts a blanket over their head and because they can't see you, they think that you can't see them. So this is one way of offending the Lord where we just basically pretend he doesn't exist. And Śrīla Prabhupāda gives another way of offending the Lord where one thinks that they are the Lord, where one's spiritual practices, one's religious practices are focused only on oneself, on understanding that one is consciousness, that one is a spiritual being, and not and not having a service attitude toward the Lord. And it, it, I think it's kind of funny that Prabhupada says that in the Bhagavad Gita, in just a few minutes, it establishes that we are consciousness, that we are the soul. And there, there are these yogis who spend uh, so many years just focusing on the fact that I am consciousness rather than the body. So in this way, we are offensive to the Lord. We either ignore him or we think that we are him. You know, <laughs> either he doesn't exist, everything's just matter. And, you know, he hasn't done anything, he's nowhere. Or, uh, I am him. I am God. And both of these kinds of offenses are are due to envy. That we envy the fact that he's the controller. You know, because that's the one thing that we're not. We're certainly independent, we're free. Prabhupada says the need of the soul is for complete freedom. So we have the freedom of the Lord. We have a lot of the power of the Lord, but we're not the supreme controller, Ishwar Parmakrishna. We're not the supreme controller. We envy that. We envy that someone else is in control. And this envy of the fact that God is in control is evident throughout our lives. If we notice, the people that we have the most anger at are people who have more control over things in our life than we do. You know, we envy the government, we envy our employers, we envy, you know, the persons in our family who have control over things that interfere with our control, our teachers or anyone who's in a level of control over us. So, this is evidence that we have envy toward the Supreme Controller, even though he's a benevolent controller. He controls things for our benefit. And we're not, we're we're not able to control our lives in such a way that everything turns out nicely. So that's our enviousness. So therefore we can't approach God directly. Even though he's in our heart and, and he's, he's not open to being approached directly by someone who's envious of him, as, as we wouldn't. And therefore he can be approached only through an intermediary. Now what he does do, what Krishna does do, although he's neutral... When he sees that we have some desire to approach him, he sends an intermediary to us. In fact, as Prabhupada talks about at the end of this purport, he sends intermediaries to us, even if we're not, even if the impetus doesn't come from our side first. So he's constantly sending his devotees throughout the material world in order to try to spark that interest. You know, where does that interest first come from? So the devotees come, even as Prabhupada says, to those who are offensive. And, and if those if those persons are open, then the interest will be sparked. And Prabhupada gives the uh, example, both with Narada Muni of, of uh, Mugrari and Nalakuvara and Manigriva, that Mugrari, although he was a very low-class person from an external perspective, he was a tribal hunter in the forest, not only a hunter, he was half-killing animals, as soon as he had some dealings with Narada Muni, that spark of desire ignited within him. Whereas Nalakuvera and Manigriva, when they had some dealings with Narada Muni, they neglected him and they were rude to him. And it took them a lot of punishment before that spark ignited in them. It ignited eventually by the contact of Narada, but first they had to go through some difficulty. Anyway, so Krishna, when he uh, either when he sees that there's an endeavor by the grace of Krishna, one gets guru, by the grace, grace of guru, one gets Krishna. So Krishna sends his intermediary, or Krishna sends his intermediary to try to spark that in the first place. And he gives that chance over and over and over and over again. Right? Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that those who are demons, he pushes into the lower species. But even those in the lower species get some opportunity to contact a devotee. The devotee distributes prasadam to the animal's the devotee chants to the animals, as Haridasa Thakur says. So the devotee teaches one how to approach Krishna again, how to restore one's relationship with Krishna, how to see Krishna, because Krishna is not going to really fully reveal himself until that offensive mentality is gone. Uh, he'll reveal himself to some extent as the offensive mentality goes. It's not an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Uh, but the devotee trains... The person, and that means that the devotee is dealing with the person who's still very offensive. The devotee takes that service, Krishna tells the devotee in the Bhagavad Gita, don't disturb the ignorant. And then he says, Those who preach are the most dear to me. So the devotee takes that tapasya, which is why the devotee is so dear to the Lord, of being willing to teach people who are still offensive to the Lord how to stop being offensive. And in the meantime, of course, they're going to still be very offensive. And not only are they going to offend the Lord, they're most likely going to offend the devotees. However, there are persons who, even though the devotees go to them, they don't see the devotees. What do we mean by they don't see the devotees? They, they don't see their lifeline out of the material entanglement. They don't see their way to again associate with the Lord and to again have a loving relationship with the Lord. They're you know, like a person in the well who doesn't see that a rope's been thrown to them. Hmm? So why is it? What, what, what does this mean that they don't see the devotees? They don't see the devotees? They, they don't have eyes? They're, they're, they're blind? What does that, does that mean? Because a literally blind person is a, can be able to see the devotees. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the antamanasa, manasa, the internal mind. We're not talking about the gross eyes. A, a grossly blind person is capable of seeing the devotees and the Lord, like Govamangala Thakur or uh, Suradas, but the one who, whose inner vision is blocked cannot even see the devotees. So one meaning is of seeing is that the person cannot distinguish between a materialist and a devotee. They see the devotees as also being materialistic. And it, it's interesting, I had a discussion some months ago with a person who said... Well, when you devotees, when you members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness distribute your literature, it's not really a charitable activity. You know, you, what, Because what you're really trying to do, he said, is you're distributing these books not exactly to enlighten people and not to benefit people, but your purpose is for them to join your organization. And he said, if they read the books and they don't join your organization, you consider it a failure. And you want them to join your organization to get more money and human resources for your organization. Therefore, it's simply extended selfishness. You're simply interested in people giving more benefit to your organization, and you're not really interested in benefiting the people at all. So here's someone who's looking at the activities of the devotees and seeing that they're exactly the same as materialistic activities. They're not distinguishing. Right? I also remember many, many years ago, speaking to a person who said, well, you know, what's the use of being religious? Religious people also get sick and get old and die. Religious people have the same problems as anybody else, which is it's just a fact. Whatever disease a materialist gets, a, a devotee of the Lord can get. Whatever accidents, whatever family trouble, you know, it's, it's a fact. It's not that you're a devotee of the Lord and you're not going to go through these things externally. So they don't distinguish. They don't even see that there are devotees. And I'd say that this is a general mood in our modern society where, in fact, the more religious you are, the more of a spiritual person you are, the more materialistic you're assumed to be. And we have these words like extremists and fanatics and literalists. And what we mean by that is that anyone who takes religion as their all-in-all, as their total life, anyone who's fully dedicated to religion must be a very violent, uh, cruel terrorist. You know, we've equated the two. Because there are violent and cruel terrorists who also at least externally uh, cover their activities with some sort of religious fanaticism, that doesn't mean that everybody who's taken God as their life and soul and everyone who's totally dedicated themselves to religion is a, is a terrorist and is a criminal. This is illogical. This is like saying, you know, because uh, serial killers like to hang out at, you know, swimming pools to find children to kidnap, that therefore anyone who hangs out at swimming pools must be a serial killer. I mean, it, it's, it's not even basic logic. You know, a dog has four legs, a cat has four legs, therefore a dog is a cat kind of thing. So the people cover their violence with all sorts of things. People have been covering their violence with nationalism uh, for yugas ever since there were national boundaries on the planet, starting perhaps with uh, soon after Maharaj Prithu. People justify the most heinous and uh, inexcusable violence under the plea of nationalism or ethnocentrism or racism, you know. But nationalism, I mean, is anyone going to say that a person who's who has a lot of patriotism, therefore, must be a criminal? I mean, it's, it's absurd. Who would say that? We all know how many crimes have been committed in the name of patriotism, and we know how many, you know, horrible horrible activities and horrible people have covered their behavior with patriotism and still we encourage patriotism but when it comes to God uh, it, we say oh yes 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 you know you can worship God if you're still sort of primitive but just don't be extreme so anyway this is one way people don't see the devotees of the Lord they, they just don't distinguish between a materialist and a devotee they see the devotees as also being materialist in some way or another another way a person doesn't see the devotees is they can't distinguish between levels of devotees. They can't distinguish between a beginner, a, a prakṛta bhaktā, a materialistic devotee, and an actually realized devotee. I remember speaking to one of my god sisters a few years ago, and she said to me, "Well, aren't all the devotees actually kānisťa And I thought, wow, <laughs> do you really think the process doesn't work? Do you really think that after decades Everyone who's practicing it is still just a materialistic devotee and is still just at the beginning stage. So, anyway, we see this very commonly. Those who are themselves materialistic devotees, Atmavan Manyate Jagat, they think all the devotees are materialistic. They think that nobody is relishing transcendental bliss internally, they think that nobody is actually uh, experiencing their eternal spiritual identity. I mean, I find that when I, I speak to devotees and I say, you know, I've I've met many, many people, many, many devotees of Krishna who are awakening to their eternal relationship with Krishna and who are, you know, awakening to what they are in the spiritual world and who are awakening to see Krishna. Many times I get shocked and surprise. Really? There, there's actually people like that? And I'm thinking, isn't that what you would expect? You know, if you went to a university and you said... You know, there are are many people here who are getting jobs. Really? You mean some of our university juniors and seniors get paid for their knowledge and some of them get... It would be absurd. You know, or if you say, well, I know married people, many married people who have children. Really? How how astonishing. Married people actually produce children and think, well, isn't that what you would expect? (laughs) <laughs> That's the default value, you know. If you're married, you you have children. If you graduated from school, then you have a career. This is uh, what we would expect, you know. If we say and many children, there's so many children turning into adults. Oh, really? How astonishing! They're not staying children. So people think like that with the devotees. Even if they say, "Oh yes, here's a religious person," as opposed to a materialistic person. Oh, but here's a material. They're a materialistic devotee and all they see is the is the is the world and their motives are are still materialistic so this is that means you can't see a devotee and the unfortunate thing is when we can't see a devotee when we can't distinguish a devotee from a gross materialist or when we can't distinguish levels of devotees then we can't progress ourselves in bhakti because Rupa Goswami talks about the six loving exchanges as being done with different levels of devotees. And we end up then dealing with the devotees like Nalakuvera and Manigriva did. Nalakuvera and Manigriva, they remained naked in the presence of Narada. They didn't show any respect to him. So one who can't distinguish the devotees, can't see the devotees, they don't show any respect for them. In fact, they often show disrespect, they just find fault with them. You know, oh, yes, here's a devotee, but they have this fault and this fault. And, you know, they may have those faults. Until somebody's on very, very high platforms of Krishna consciousness, uh, they may still have some fault. And, frankly, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur talks about that even if the fault is gone, there may still be a fragrance of the fault. He says you remove camphor from a pot. There's still a fragrance of camphor. And it's explained that even if the modes of nature are still present in the body of an advanced devotee, they don't disturb that devotee. They don't impede that devotee. So, yes, one may see some fault, or one may even see fault in God or in the absolutely pure devotees. Prabhupada said there's no utopia that way. Like the gopis dress themselves, Prabhupada said, as if they were very young children going out to see Krishna, uh, clothes upside down and inside out and... You know, one earring and so forth. And one could say, well, that's a fault. A young girl going to see her beloved shouldn't dress like that. One could find so many faults in the devotees. And so this is, when we don't see the devotees and understand the devotees, we simply find fault in them. We just disrespect them. Or maybe we just disturb them. You know, we just cause disturbances to them. And when we're with them, we don't utilize them. You know, we, we don't really take advantage of as as Prabhupada would say. Not take advantage in the sense of exploit, but we don't utilize the opportunity. We may be with a devotee, and we're just talking about politics, or we're talking about the weather, or we're talking about our family. and and We're not really associating with that devotee in in a way that can help us achieve what that devotee has to give us. Like Prabhupada said, you go to a very rich man and you ask for a few grains of rice. And Bali Maharaj had that pride when Vamandev came he said ask me for something so great that you'll never have to ask for anything again of course he didn't have that to give but we should take from the devotees the best they have to give you know if we, if we see them as materialistic then we don't even know that they have it we're not aware of the treasure they have like that man who went to Sanatan Goswami and got the touchstone from the garbage heap and then later realized, you know, he's got to have something better than this. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep the touchstone in the garbage heap. And then he went back and he said, uh, Give me the best thing you have. Sanatana so Goswami then said, First throw the touchstone in the Yamuna. You know, lose your materialistic vision, lose your external vision. Then I can give you the best thing. So we're with the devotees. We should be asking those devotees, please give me the very best thing. And to do that, we have to give up our materialistic vision. We have to, to open the inner eye, the inner mind, and be willing to see things as they are. We have to give up our pride. And frankly, even the beginning devotees, even the materialistic devotees, uh, we should even love them as Raghunath Goswami Swami starts his Manasiksa. he That's how he starts. One should have love not only for the those who live in Vraja, which doesn't mean geographical, not only for those who live in Vraja, uh, but those who are... Uh, the Majima, those who are trying to follow, who are starting to open their inner eyes, and we should also have love even for the ordinary religious people, even for the ordinary brahmanas, even for the pious people, we should have love for them, as Rupa Goswami says, that even the pious workers they're favored by the Supreme Lord Hari, at least they're following the rules of religion, so we ask these people, what is the best thing? Give me the best thing and not to and throw away our our materialistic vision so how to do this how to open that inner eye that inner mind and see things as they are we have this treasure right in front of us like the story of the astrologer with the treasure that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tells we have a treasure right in front of us that we're not seeing so how to open our inner eye the way to open our inner eye for the devotees who are all around us and for the Lord who's in our heart is given here also in this verse. So, those who get transcendental enjoyment, padanyasha vilasha, those who enjoy the Lord's activities, that's the opposite of envy. Right? Envy is when you have some wonderful activity. I, I don't like that. You know, we, we sometimes hear about in the Olympics. That the person who wins second place they hate the person who won first place I mean just imagine to win second place in the Olympics what an incredible honor that is unbelievable third place in the Olympics what an amazing honor oh but I didn't win first place I right? and we all know even again in the mundane sphere it's not very nice sportsmanship when you lose the game the chivalry rasa you know when you lose the game you congratulate the winner. You take happiness in the winner. Right? That You're you're honoring the game. <laughs> but our general mood is envy. If somebody has something nicer than I do, or if someone's happy even, I become disturbed. I had a friend speaking to me about this the other day. And they said, you know, I, I think I mentioned this. Oh, I don't like so-and-so's Facebook post. I'm thinking of... Of not seeing their posts anymore on Facebook. Oh, why? Because every time I see their posts, they always look happy. <laughs> and so I find it very disturbing that, that this person always always puts up pictures of them being happy. So I don't want to look at them anymore. So this is this, this is envy. You know, it, the real love is I'm happy at your happiness so the way that we cure this envy which has blocked our internal vision not only of the Lord but of the Lord's intermediaries is to start dealing with this envy and the way that we do that is to take happiness at Krishna's happiness right? to, to relish the Lord's pastimes and that includes the Lord's pastimes of creating the material world all of the Lord's pastimes to relish them to get our pleasure from that, to get our pleasure from the happiness of the Lord and the happiness of the devotees. And that's a question simply of desire. It's not some kind of magic thing, and it's not exactly something that someone else can do for us, although the devotees, when we're in their shadow, their reflection, we're able to get a little taste of how wonderful it is to enjoy the enjoyment of the Lord. So, to enjoy the Lord's pastimes, to enjoy serving the devotees, to relish it. And it is relishable. As Rupa Goswami explains, we may have difficulty relishing it when we're jaundiced, but it truly is relishable. It is the most relishable. Anandam Bodhivaradam. It is unlimitedly happy. The, The happiness of the Lord's eating, like we offer our food to the Lord, But it's not supposed to be some official thing, some mechanical thing. Oh, now I won't get any karma. You know, the Lord's my karma stamping out machine. (laughs) But I should be meditating. I'm giving this food to Krishna, and he's eating it. He's eating this mango. He's eating this samosa, and and he's enjoying it. And I'm happy that he enjoys it. And we all know how to do that. We all know how to cook something and feed it to a guest and watch them eat it and be happy that they're eating it, even if there's nothing left for ourselves to eat. We become happy at their happiness. This is not a, a foreign concept to us. In fact, it's, it's really who we are. So as we deal with this envy, as we even start dealing with it, even on a, a small level, then we start to be able to see the devotees as they are. And we start to in, engage with them in a way that decreases our envy more and more and more. And makes us offenseless. And as that happens, we start to see the Lord, and we start to see Him more and more and more. And, and we, we we look at Him. Bahi <laughs> muke. We've turned our face, so He's right there. It's a question of want of looking at Him, and it's a question of wanting to look at Him, because we no longer envy Him. So, if anyone has any questions or comments,
1: a devotee sees Paramatma. Um, a, a devotee of Krishna, is that, does the devotee then see, just like we have the verse, you know, so the devotee of Krishna, would he then, when he becomes realized to where he's seeing Krishna everywhere, is he seeing Krishna as Krishna, in the form of Krishna, everywhere as Krishna's advised Arjuna to meditate upon him?
0: Lord Kapiladev says that the Lord appears in whatever form the devotee worships him. And Sanatanga Goswami explains in Brihad Bhagavatamrita the same that as the devotee worships the Lord, it's that form of the Lord that the devotee sees. So the Paramatma exists only, it's really Krishna. There is only one God. And Krishna is appearing as Paramatma, which is a partial manifestation to those who are envious. That's it. when you envy God, you know, He's just this neutral observer and witness and so forth. I mean, as Paramatma, He's also the Father. He's Sri Vishnu, He's the Father of the universe. So He may appear that way also to very materialistic devotees, like the demigods who are worshipping the Lord for various material things. They are, you know, at best, they're going to seek Sri Vishnu. And we could guess that a lot of the materialistic religionists, that's the form they want to see. They want to see the form of the Lord as the the witness, the father, the creator, and so forth of the universe. So that's, that's who they see. Nice. All right, Krishna.
1: I was asking a question regarding this verse when you say that the vision is blocked because of absorption external activities, and the reason which I understood from the lecture is the envy towards Lord, but uh, what about things like where it's not saying Krishna Karmani, you are doing it for Krishna and you forget him, like verse 8.7 says that you fight for me and think about me. What if if we we just keep on fighting and we forget to think about him? What about that sort of blocking in our external vision?
0: Well, that is called agyata-sukriti. Agyata-sukriti is where you're doing something for Krishna or Krishna's devotees, but with agya, without knowledge, without consciousness, without awareness of who you're doing it for. So when agyata-sukriti piles up, Prabhupada would use the word piling, when it accumulates enough, then it becomes Sukriti. Then you start working in awareness. It a Sukriti does purify that inner mind. I mean, much more slowly than yatissukhriti, but generally that's how things start. Generally, a person does ignorant devotional service first. That's, that's usually how things start. You know, there, there's the Hari nam party and. People of chanting without knowing. When one, then remember it's gradual. So a person usually goes from a gap to gradually. So maybe they start thinking about who they're doing it for. Five minutes a day, and then it becomes ten minutes a day. It, it's sometimes people go from inattentive chanting to boom to attentive chanting at sixteen rounds and sixty-four rounds. But generally, it's a very gradual sort of thing that a person starts being attentive to one mantra and then to, you know, five mantras and then to one round, and, and starts, you know, five minutes of every hour they start remembering Krishna and it gradually increases and increases and increases. And it, what's, it's generally a good idea is to celebrate the time that you're conscious rather than spending much time lamenting the time that you're unconscious. Because whatever we give our attention to is what grows. This is nicely explained in the end of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. And it's something that the psychologists, psychiatrists understand very well. Whatever you give your attention to, that's what grows. So if we give our attention to the times that we're forgetting Krishna, we'll keep forgetting Krishna and we'll keep lamenting about it. Give our attention to the times that we're remembering him. Celebrate the times that we're remembering him I mean when Rupa Goswami Says that one should always remember Krishna And never forget him When Jiva Goswami and Vishnathagavaritakura Comment on this verse In the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu They say that for the beginner in spiritual life Always remember Krishna means At least regularly Therefore we have a proper established the concept of a morning program You know We don't find in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu a specific outline of the morning program that Srila Prabhupada gave. That's not what we find. We find the general principles. And Prabhupada gave these specific details which include the not, the five most potent processes of bhakti. So at least you have that time. You know, in a typical Iskcon temple, it's about four or five hours in the morning and then another hour and a half, two hours in the evening. But even people who live at home, they can spend, you know, 16 rounds is at least an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes. And then spending some time reading the Bhagavatam and, and spending some time in worship, you know, you've got at least two or three hours a day. I know the average American watches six hours of television a day, uh, on average. Some people are watching ten hours of television a day. So at least two, three hours a day in the morning and the evening, there's some time dedicated that I'm just remembering Krishna and then those of us who can't die to we have this break in the middle of the day where again I refocus my mind on Krishna so that's the kind of thing that can be done some time spots in the morning in the evening throughout the day where again we refocus on who am I doing this for and gradually increase that and increase that and increase that and there, there's so many ways to do that I mean it's what I suggest to people have have something on your phone that you can look at and have certain times of the day you know whenever you check your phone like I have on my phone some things about Krishna's pastimes and you know anytime I do anything on my phone it's so easy to look at that first and just take you know 5 seconds, 10 seconds to look at that first you can have all of Srila Prabhupada's books on your phone and read a paragraph before each meal it's not that difficult to have some sort of system, that's what Vaidhi sadhana bhakti is about that you have some kind of system where at regular times periodically you're again reminding yourself to open that inner mind and eventually it's going to become constant this is nicely explained in the Purport of nectar of instruction text 8, but not that you just go on being unconscious and think well someday it's going to fall on my head you know, it's, it's a question of practicing and increasing and increasing and increasing. Thank you very much for a
1: detailed answer. Mother, I have a question about the purport. Yes. Uh, Yes, uh, Schiller says that the impersonalists misunderstand the theory of reflection. Any common man should be able to easily understand. Unfortunately, I don't understand. So le- let me just see if this is, I've got this right. Well,
0: before sky, you go, before you go any further, um, yeah. right now in my life I'm extremely busy. I'm, I'm running a household of 10 children, I'm homeschooling them, I'm supervising all the cooking, I'm supervising all the cleaning, I'm supervising all the laundry and everything. And therefore, my available time is, is been reduced. So normally with this purport, I would have taken that section and I would have done probably an hour and a half of research on that particular point in the purport. I didn't have that time available to me, therefore I didn't, and therefore whatever you're going to ask me about it, I'm not going to be able to answer you today.
1: Oh, uh, okay. So we can save it for an time.
0: You can save it for about a month from now. <laughs> and ask, ask me then. But normally that's the kind of thing that I would go. Otherwise I'm just going to be relying on my memory like a Vasudev talking to Kamsa about the moon being reflected in pots of water, but I don't think that that's what Shula Prabhupada is speaking about here. Um, I did take the time to look at Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentary, I also did take the time to look at Jiva Goswami's commentary on this verse. Uh, I found Jiva Goswami's commentary on this verse to be pretty much incomprehensible to me. So I wasn't able to take that any further and that was all the time that I had. You know, I only had about 20 minutes. So I, I just I just couldn't go any further than that.
1: Isn't um, that funny how he says any sincere, common man should understand? <laughs> uh,
0: well, yeah, that tells you a lot about who, what I am. Uh, I mean, what Prabhupada's saying in the purport is that the stars are not the sky and the jiva is not God. But he's referring to some very specific philosophy of reflection here. Uh, again, without having researched... The things that come to mind are Vasudev's talking to Kamsa and also Madhvacharya. It's possible that Madhvacharya commented on this verse, and I don't have a translation of Madhvacharya's commentary. But Madhvacharya has a whole philosophy of reflection in terms of the Lord being in the heart and in terms of the Lord's relationship with the soul and the soul's identity. It's something that I've studied, but it's not something that I study frequently, and I, I really have to go back to it and look it up. I'm assuming that that's what Sri was referring to, but okay. it's, it's not one of those things that I have just sitting at the top of my brain, so I, I sure. apologize for that. Sure, sure.
1: Sorry. Okay, uh, Ramila, Prabhuji, um, I, I, I have uh, a question here for you. Yes. Don't you think that you know every everyone has different visions of the Supreme Lord in their heart, different forms, different shapes? But isn't our isn't the form of the Supreme Lord that we have in our heart shaped by the spiritual master? In other words, that Prabhupada presented. Um, the Supreme Lord as Krishna playing on his flute with his three-bended form and so on and his pastimes. So are the devotees of Krishna, in other words, the ones who follow Srila Prabhupada, uh, seeing Krishna because Srila Prabhupada gave us that vision, not because we ourselves had that vision or we have that vision, it's because the spiritual master gave us the vision.
0: What well, is it? that's very beautifully said and I would say that both are true. Both are true. Because the spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, actor Srila Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, Bhaktivinoda, Narada Muni, Sukadeva Goswami, Lord Dev, Vidura, Maitreya, Uddhava, yes, they're all giving us this vision of Krishna playing his flute. Of course, Bhagavatam also gives us a vision of Lord Vishnu in the heart. Lord Dev and Lord Shiva give a a very detailed description of the four-handed form of Lord Vishnu in the heart. So yes, this is given by the by the spiritual master, and the beginning devotee is attracted in a general way. At a certain point, and that where that point is is very individual, the devotee develops their own taste. The devotee develops their own taste, and even if it's all for Krishna two-handed playing a flute in Raja, it's still very individual. So those who develop a taste in Vatsalya Ras, they like to see Krishna as a little baby. They like to see Krishna as very young. You know, Mother Yasoda, she says Krishna too young to think about him getting married. Mother Yasoda doesn't worry about having, you know, the young gopis yeah. give Krishna a bath. Sanatana so Goswami, Sanatana so explains this because to her, Krishna is just a little boy. He, he's not mature. And the cowherd boys, they they see Krishna as a little older. And the gopis, they see Krishna as a little older. And, you know, each person has their, and some devotees, they're going to be attracted to Krishna and Matara or Dwarka. I know devotees in the Hare Krishna movement who don't want to go to Vrindavan. They want to go to Dwarka. They, they do. I mean, they say, I don't want to go to Vrindavan. I want to be with Krishna and Dwarka. I mean, devotees have their individual tastes. They have, we have, and that is supposed to awaken. This is the part of personality And, and Krishna is a person And even two cowherd boys They don't see Krishna exactly the same way you know, This is very nicely described In uh, Sanatana Goswami's commentary On Bhagavatam 10th Canto, chapter uh, 15 I think I think it's text 53 where he taught, Where it's described That the Lord appears in all these Vishnu forms To Lord Brahma And each form is worshipped By all the living entities And Sanatana Goswami says the Lord has unlimited qualities and there are unlimited jivas. And therefore each jiva is attracted to a particular quality of the Lord. So, yes, Srila Prabhupada, our spiritual masters, they introduce us to Krishna in a general way and then we develop our own individual personal relationship with Krishna. Again, this is true even on the materialistic level. You know, I could introduce you... Just like I was traveling with my grandchildren, so I travel with my grandson and I introduce him. Oh, here's Vikram. Vikram, here's, you know, Krishnadas. But then Vikram has his own relationship with Krishna Das That's a little different from my relationship with Krishnadas. And so he's going to see him differently. And this is the essence of personality. The fact that God is a person and that we are persons is the main reason why the absolute truth. Is described a little differently, even by different acharyas, even by different acharyas in the same sampradaya, even different acharyas in the same branch of the same sampradaya. You know, the because the absolute truth is not a thing. If the absolute truth was a thing, everyone would describe the absolute truth exactly the same way. <laughs> but we're, and not only is the absolute truth a person, but we are all persons. So what's going to attract me about Krishna may be a little different than what attracts you about Krishna. You know, I might be attracted particularly to Krishna's belly and you might be attracted especially to Krishna's fingernails and someone else is attracted especially to Krishna's eyebrows. I mean, that's that's what it is. You know, we, we are persons and someone may be attracted especially to Krishna's fighting and someone else is attracted especially to Krishna's joking and... It, everyone's attracted to everything. All the devotees are attracted to everything about Krishna. I mean, Bhishma is glorifying the gopis and asking for the blessings of the gopis. It's not that he doesn't have attraction to Radha, but that's but he wants to be with Krishna and Vakunta. He wants to be with a Vishnu form of Krishna in a in a chivalrous servant relationship. We have the story in the nectar devotion how one of Krishna's servants was there when Krishna was joking with the cowherd boys and they were all laughing and the servant also started to laugh and immediately he stopped. No, I, I don't want that kind of relationship with Krishna. I, I want a more reverential relationship. I don't I don't want to be laughing when the Krishna's laughing with his friends and he, he pulled back. You know, yeah. or like you have uh, what's his name? Um, oh what is his name? I think Murari, the physician Who was attracted to Lord Ramachandra And Lord Chaitanya said You should become attracted to Krishna And he tried all night And in the morning he said I I, I guess I have to die Because I can't follow your order I I can't change my allegiance From Ramachandra to Krishna And Lord Chaitanya said Happy is the servant Who doesn't give up his master And the master who doesn't give up his servant so what is introducing us to Krishna is supposed to awaken within us as we become attracted to Krishna and as we start to serve Krishna and as we start to have a personal relationship with Krishna the of the goal is that it awakens within us some individual taste and some individual relationship and that is what Krishna wants that is what Srila Prabhupada wants Srila Prabhupada wants us to develop that personal relationship I mean there's an instance where uh, Niyasamsa Dutta talking to Prabhupada and he said, suppose a neophyte devotee, he uses the word neophyte, starts to you know, awaken his taste for Krishna in, in the mood of a cowherd boy. And Prabhupada said, that is what is wanted. That's what's going to please Srila Prabhupada. Just like ordinary parents, they're pleased when their child grows up and becomes attached to a particular person to marry them becomes attached to a particular occupation you know the parents introduce the child to school in a general way but the parents want the child to find their unique occupation so this is that's what's wanted and even if you have a million devotees who all see Shana Sundar playing his flute, I'll tell you they're going to see him done differently they're also devotees who become attached to Balaram I mean I personally know devotees in the Hare Krishna movement who's as they're awakening to higher levels of bhakti their relationship is not with Krishna so much it is theirs with Krishna but it's mostly with Balaram and that their attraction is to Balaram their their main love is to Balaram they also love Krishna but it's mostly with Balaram so this is the, the whole scope of, of individuality is, is there that's what it means that we have a personal philosophy of course, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his followers especially introduced the devotees to the, the very highest. Oh, you can't think of highest, though, in, in a material sense. It, it's not, you know, when we say better materially, we mean something is lesser. Otherwise, there's no meaning to the word better. I had, uh, one of my older grandchildren was explaining to one of the younger grandchildren, a couple of days ago they were explaining the difference between good, better, and best and you know we call the comparative and the superlative so there's no meaning to better without worse but spiritually it's not like that it's not that the cowherd boys are worse than the gopis or worse than the mothers and fathers it, it's not even that those in Dwarka are worse than those in Vrindavan, it, it, or that the devotees of Balaram are lesser than the devotees of Krishna. I mean, those sort of concepts are, are very materialistic. At the same time, one can say that there are more intimate rasas. So, Sri Tengahaprabhu, the glory of his incarnation and his followers, is that they discuss the most intimate, most complete form of the Lord who is Krishna. And the most intimate, most complete relationship, which is that of Madhurya Ras. So when you introduce what's most complete, everything else is included. If you only teach up to Vaikuntha, then it's very difficult for people to awaken to Vrindavan. You know, there are people in the Christian tradition and in the Muslim tradition who have awakened to what certainly appears to be uh, very intimate relationships with the Lord even though that's not so much taught within their religion. So it's possible, you know, there are people doing PhD mathematics in, in primary school, it happens. So people can surpass the teachings of their, of their teacher by some sort of kripa City. But generally speaking, we achieve that which we've been given. So Srila Prabhupada and his predecessors and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and their followers They are teaching Madhurya Ras in Vrindavan as the Supreme. And we find that Madhurya Ras in Vraja is what I would call the default template. You know, when our acharyas are talking about love of God, they generally put it in those terms. They generally give examples in Madhurya Ras. But that allows anyone in any of the Rasas to find their place. It, it allows any anyone of any attraction to find their place because everything is included there. And somebody may be attracted to something else. And and that is, that is what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is that each of us finds our true self and we serve Krishna in the way that only we are serving Krishna. We have our unique service and our unique relationship and our unique flavor. Is that okay? Does that answer your point? Very nice point, by
1: the way, thank you. Hi, Krishna, thank you for the very nice class. This is Balabhadra Prabhu.
0: Hi, Krishna. So,
1: you talked a lot about not seeing devotees, Can you cited some examples about, for example, seeing devotees as materialists. And then, um, even devotees, perhaps, you know, someone not seeing that, that there's actually different levels of devotees. Yeah. You're seeing all devotees as being one and the same kind of thing, in the same level, same class.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: And uh, on this point of not seeing devotees, it's two part question. One, uh, because I was listening to a, a class. I uh, Prabhupada just last week. Talking about how it's actually appropriate to uh, consider someone an American devotee and someone else a Hindu devotee and someone else a Japanese devotee, like this. So. I'm assuming that because that's considered that that's also not seeing the odious. That's the first part of my question.
0: Yes, that is the correct. That is yeah. absolutely, correct. absolutely correct. If, if Of if, course, if, in normal conversation, conversation, if I'm going to say, gonna, hey, please if give, if this, if give if this to Krishna Das, and you say, who's Krishna Das? I may say, well, I'm he's a little short. He's from Florida. Peru. Florida. He's wearing a white coat yeah, and a white, white beard, beard. So just to designate people, people and that, in that, that is not a pencil. But if one actually acts here's a peering devotee, here's a eating devotee, here's a black devotee, and, oh oh and oh my god, here's a white devotee, here's a male devotee, that's operable.
1: Also, um, if sometimes, you know, devotees Yeah, although we would like to get along with all devotees, we don't get along with all devotees. Sometimes the most of nature don't allow us to get along with other devotees. Is that also an example of not seeing devotees or what?
0: Well, it depends. In the first canto Prabhupada talks about, I think it was a kura who didn't get along with his father-in-law although they were both pure devotees. We find that in the spiritual world there's different groups of devotees who sometimes appear to be in opposition and competition and sometimes are cooperating. You know, in the in the Ras Lila, there's all these extensive commentaries by the Acharyas as to why Krishna leaves with Radharani and why he then leaves Radharani. So among the groups of devotees, of the of the gopis, there's uh, considered four groups with reference to Srimati Radharani. So there's groups that are uh, Radharani's own group, groups that are friendly to Radharani, groups that are neutral to Radharani and groups that are opposed to Radharani and Rupa Goswami talks about heavy um, criticism between Radharani's group and the, and the oppositional group and Srila Prabhupada told the devotees not to go to Siddhanta Saraswati's brother his, his biological brother Lalita Prasad he said because they have a disagreement about Abhideya about the process of bhakti he said and you will think it's a material disagreement but it's a spiritual disagreement so whether in the spiritual world or in this world acharyas will disagree I mean if you look at Madhvacharya's philosophy there's many points of disagreement although we claim to be in his sampradaya so sometimes we don't get along with someone because not because of the modes of material nature but because they have a very different mood than we do And it's very difficult to work with them. You know, each of us has our area where we're very inspired. Some person is very inspired to take care of the cows, and another person is very inspired to build temples, and another person is very inspired to teach children. And Sometimes it's hard to work with somebody whose area of inspiration is radically different from yours. You know, I've been with devotees who would be like, (laughs) okay, you got to do this for the building this temple, building this temple, building it. it's like, that, that's not my service <laughs> you know, I'm, I appreciate your service and I, I, I want to help your service but it's not my area and you know, sometimes you have devotees trying to, to get you to be like them and it's, it, it doesn't work very well and we may be in different ashrams even in this world and it, it's, it's nice to be with people who are in your same mood even on an you know, on an, an external level. You know, I, I like being with other people who are in a renounced ashram, at least some of the time. If I'm only with brahastas, I'm only with brahastas. It's it kind of it's it's wearing sometimes. It's, my concerns are not that's not really where my, my concerns are in my life is. So that that kind of of thing is just normal. The problem is when it's offensive. The problem is when it's envious. <laughs> and sometimes we may not be able to deal with somebody because uh, they're at such a different level of, of advancement than we are, that either we're offending them all the time or they're offending us all the time or something like that. Um, but the, the main thing is we shouldn't be offensive to anybody, we shouldn't be proud to anybody. It's not that I have to be able to work with everybody, you know. People like to quote that astrologer who said Prabhupada could build a house in which the whole world could live. But you know, there can be different rooms in the house. <laughs> we don't all have to sleep in the same bed. You know, it, it, it's we are we are persons. We are individuals, and some of our individual tastes are due to the modes of nature and our conditioning. And that is what it is too. You know, I I like rice with salt on it, and other people like rice without salt. And that's just a material conditioning. But you give me rice without salt every day, I'm not going to be very happy. So, you know, some of it's like that. And, but, but, but there should not be any envy. Any envy prevents us from seeing the devotees or any criticism. When, when we get into, you know, well, I'm, I'm really into cows and cows are the most important. And those people spending all that money on the temple, they don't understand how important cows are. Then you're in trouble. You know, that's a problem. And, you know, those people, they're only preaching to new people. They never preach to the devotees, and I just preach to the devotees. They're a lower platform, you know, then you're in trouble. Or, my God, that person likes salt on their rice. Oh, my God, you know, that's not Bengali style. They must be, you know, then you're in trouble. Best to see everyone's good qualities, and all devotees have some good qualities. But again, it doesn't mean I have to work with everybody. I mean, that's that's not practical. Even in the ultimate, perfect spiritual world, everyone is not working with everyone all the time. You know, and the Acharyas explain that Krishna has especially. In the in the morning, he's with his parents, and then in the mid morning, he's with the cowherd boys. In the middle of the day, he's with the gopis. Then again, he's with the cowherd boys. Again, he's with his parents. Again, he's with the gopis, and he's with different groups of cowherd boys and different groups of cows and different groups. And was only sometimes when everybody's together. You know, under Govardhan Hill, everybody's together. When Krishna is with Kali, everyone's together. When Krishna goes to Mathura, everybody's together. <laughs> You know, it's unusual that everybody's together, and Balaram has his groups of gopis, and Krishna has his groups of gopis, and they're not generally together. Now, on the holy festival, they're all together. You know, and Krishna meets with one group of gopis, and the other group of gopis is lamenting, but in Ras Lila, they're all together. So, you know, there's certain things in the kirtan, we should all be able to be together. I mean... God in the kirtan I don't care what Godia group you're in we should all be able to be together you know there, there are certain times when everybody should be able to be together and all the philosophical especially kirtan and prasadam you know kirtan and prasadam everybody should be able to be together it doesn't matter what sampradaya you're in and whether you believe we fell from the spiritual world or we didn't whether you put salt on your rice or not or you know just everybody can chant Hare Krishna That everybody should do together, and everybody can take prasada. Maybe I'm going to eat the eggplant subji and you're not, but we can all sit together and eat prasada. And other things we're not all going to do together. I mean, that's just, that's okay. As long as I don't think my group is better than your group, and I'm better than you, and you're just, you know, you're offensive. Because, I mean, I had a devotee who sent me this whole thing the other day, that anyone who believes we fell from the spiritual world is an Appa per and is an offender to Prabhupada. I'm like, you know, get real. It's not, you know, I said, this is not Siddhanta you're talking about. Oh, yes, this is a Siddhanta. I said, who lists fall or no fall as Siddhanta? What Acharya so is <laughs> ever listed? It's not in Dasnulatattva, you know. It's not in the Bhagavatam. What are you talking about? So as soon as we start getting, I said, just, you know, let's agree to disagree and have unity and diversity and condemning people over this thing and that thing. You know, if you believe there was a flood after every yuga, you're going to hell. don't I, well, I, well, I, I, Krishna. You know? If you have a jari border on your dhoti, it, 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 it starts to become sectarian and absurd. So then you don't see the devotees. You know, if we get into this thing, oh, you don't believe exactly the right thing, and you don't pronounce the Sanskrit properly, and you don't comb your Sika properly, and oh my god, oh, then we're going to stay in this world and just become some ritualistic Brahmana somewhere. Give me a break. So that's, you know. And, or if you're thinking, I, I can't be with this devotee because they have the wrong color skin, or I can't be with this devotee because they're from Pakistan, or, you know, that's materialistic. Is that okay? Sorry to have kind of an impassioned uh, answer to that question. But
1: <laughs> actually, that was a really awesome answer. The whole class was awesome. But in following uh, your one of your statements, for example, agreeing to be... Uh, Agree to disagree and agree to be different, kind of thing. Uh, not that I personally have a problem with this, but as the movement as a whole seems to like collectively have uh, issues with these splinter groups, uh, like, like followers in the Ryan Maharaj, Ritvi followers, how, do, how does that fall into this category or, or this kind of question?
0: Well, I get asked this question periodically, and I see it as being a very individual answer. I mean, first of all, these different groups exist for a reason. These different groups exist because there are differences in tastes and moods. If there wasn't, there wouldn't be different groups. Everybody would be in the same group. So I think that's the first thing that we should acknowledge. That we should acknowledge that there's different groups. There's something going on that is different about them. So each group has its own particular mood and its own particular taste. And within the groups, I mean, ISKCON is not monolithic. I taught ISKCON history for many years, and one of the first things I would say to the students was, there really isn't an international ISKCON history, it's more a local ISKCON history. There are only a few things that apply to ISKCON internationally, and I mean, I see this, I go to some places in the world, I went to a place in the world where um, they were doing a once a week school for 900 children, and they said, "Uh, what can we do to improve? And I say, well, you can have a child protection team. And they looked at me and they said, none of that abuse really happened, did it? So the history is different in different places. In one place is there was child abuse, another place there wasn't. In one place, you know, four different grooves fell down, four different zonal grooves fell down, one after another. And another place, there's never been a fall down of a leader. And so even within, and there's different moods in ISKCON. You know, you have the pizza group and the pakora group. You have the Doty group and the Trousers group. I mean, we have within ISKCON very disparate uh, views on different things and what to speak of between one group to another. And sometimes the, the the views become so disparate that they no longer can exist within the same group and they form their own group. And this is the history of religion since the beginning of time. So because there are genuine differences in mood and taste, these groups will want to do some things with their own group. This is just normal and natural. There are certain things that the groups are going to find it difficult to do together. Otherwise there wouldn't be different groups. And at the same time, there's things that we can do together. The difficulties come, again, whenever anybody says, my guru is the only guru, my group is the only group. anyone who's not in my group is, is going to hell. And this is true whether it's groups within ISKCON or groups, you know, sister groups to ISKCON or whatever. It's true with the Sri Sampradaya, with the Madhva Sampradaya. It's true with the Christians, with the Muslims, with the Jews. You know, our, one of the reasons I came to Krishna consciousness was Prabhupada's teaching about non-sectarianism. But at least, at least everyone's got to be, anyone who we accept as a religious, spiritual person has to be saying God is a person and the goal of life is to love God. I am, I am a spiritual being God is a person and the goal of life is to love God you know anyone who's who's preaching at least that sinanta, just like Jesus was asked what is the essence the essence he said is to love God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind or I think it was Maimonides in the Jewish tradition when he was asked please summarize the Torah in, in one sentence he says to love God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself And that's the essence Other things, you know Even if we're going to talk about philosophical things You take Bhakti Vinotakura's Dasmula Tattva He has 10 points of Tattva I believe Madhavacharya only agrees with 7 of them I think Ramanujacharya agrees with 9 of them So if if we're going to be uh, condemning people Based on those things Then it becomes offensive At the same time, there are Appa There are offensive groups, but we should be careful that we don't just uh, indiscriminately label as Appa Sampardaya, anybody who doesn't agree with me. You know, that's not very reasonable. But there are subtleties of Appa There are the people who try to relate to Lord Chaitanya as gopis, which is not Mahaprabhu's mood. There are people who try to become, to realize their rasa by just artificially dressing the body in a different way. Uh, you notice they always choose gopis and never cowherd boys. So, you know, there are all these sorts of, of cheating religions. Kaitava Dharma. And we should be able to distinguish what is a cheating religion and what is a real religion. We need to do that. But we also need to be able to distinguish that there are many, many varieties of cheating religions and there are many, many varieties of real religions. And sometimes, unfortunately, if somebody comes into your space and starts uh, saying that their way is the only way, then sometimes you may have to ask them to leave your space. I mean, that's just common etiquette. I give the example that my mother hated my being a devotee. And one time when she was visiting us, my husband said to her, if you're not going to be respectful to your daughter's choices in her life, then you're not welcome in our house. He says, you know, if you want her to leave this movement and leave her husband and leave her son, then you're really not welcome here anymore. And my mother said, well, no one wants her to leave her son. So, you know, if, if you want to take your child away from your spouse, you don't go to their home. So if you think that people should give up their guru, you know, if, if you think everybody should, should leave their guru and come to your guru, you don't go to their place and cause a disturbance. It's just, it's just not even respectful. It, it's not even common etiquette. So when people behave like that, then there, unfortunately there may have to be some boundaries for those individuals that they don't come. And also when I'm in someone else's space, I follow their mood. That's again just just etiquette. You know, I'm I'm not going to go into a Christian church and preach against Jesus. It's, it's not it's not proper etiquette. It, it doesn't it just shouldn't be done. So if I'm if I'm in Srila Prabhupada's temple, then I should preach in Srila Prabhupada's mood. And if I have some big disagreement with Srila Prabhupada, then I keep it to myself. I mean, just like in ISKCON, the GBC has decided that only the philosophy of falling from the spiritual world should be openly preached. Now, there are members among the GBC that don't accept that philosophy. There are members who say that we didn't fall from the spiritual world, and they're members of the GBC. Uh, At least one of them has disciples and and so forth. But they've accepted that in an ISKCON temple, they're not going to preach that particular philosophy, even though that's what they believe, and that's respectful. So that, those sort of, you know, respectful etiquette between people has to be maintained. And one should become mature to discriminate what is achieving religion and what is not achieving religion, to allow for unity and diversity, to understand what is the siddhanta, what is not the siddhanta. Burjana asked Srila Prabhupada, how do you know what's a principle and what's a detail? He said that requires intelligence. And often Prabhupada would say, use your common sense, and if you don't have any, ask somebody who does so this requires some maturity and all of us are enjoined to develop this maturity immaturity in these areas causes so many problems anyway, both are there there's a unity and diversity there are times and places when everyone can get together to glorify the Lord why everyone in the, in the followers of Bhakti Siddhanta? all Godhiyas why all Godhiyas why not all Vaishnavas why all Vaishnavas why not all religious people that there's times when anyone who believes in God, everyone who loves God, can love everyone who loves God. And then there are times that we do things separately. There are times we do things according to the ways that our acharyas have taught, to, the, to our particular mood, to our, our you know, particular program, and that's also all right. It's, there, there's, there's nothing harmful in that, and it's not that one is better than the other. You know, if you want to learn math, math is math in Harvard, and math is math in Yale, and math is math in little, you know, community college. And there are times when everybody can get together and talk math, and there's times you go to your own college and you use your own textbooks and you follow the procedures of your own professors. And then there's cheating universities that give you a degree without doing anything. So some discrimination is involved here and some some maturity. I mean, there are certain things that I only want to be with with people of like-mindedness. And there are certain things where I really want to be just with this kind of devotees for, and there are certain, certain things, not only just with this kind of devotees, there are certain things I want to be with only as kind of devotees who are in my same mood. I mean, that's and that's okay. And then there's times that I'm happy to be with, with any spiritually minded person. It doesn't matter. We're we have the, the share. I mean, some of my most wonderful and beautiful and enlivening times when I got to preach to these Christian ministers, Southern Baptist ministers, and we looked for areas of commonality and we look for areas of agreement, and we got those Southern Baptist Christian ministers who were being trained to be missionaries to join in Mahaprabhu's kirtan and chant Hare Krishna. And I I really can say that that those moments are some of the highlights of my life. Okay, I think we need to end now at 7.30. Shilapropa, the key. Jai.
1: Jai.